Welcome to this very special discussion on the eve of the end of the Conference of the Future of Europe, where we will be discussing everything from how the conference has been to um, what the main lessons might be. It is my great pleasure to welcome uh, Manfred Weber, who, as everyone knows, is the president of the European People's Party Group for this discussion. Thank you very much for being here with me. Thank you so much for the opportunity also to get an idea about your uh, thinking on what happened and what we can do for the future. Yeah, I mean, as a director of the Europe programme at Institut Montaigne, a Paris-based think tank, I've had the great joy of, of being able to chair a number of podcasts for the EPP, so it's great to end this way. Um, perhaps I'm, I'm sort of thinking about the Conference of the Future of Europe. We've had thousands of EU citizens take part in this, either pitching ideas online or, or take part in the uh, assemblies. Um, it's been a completely new experience asking citizens directly and not the EU institutions how they think the EU should reform. I guess, what is your main takeaway um, of this conference? Well, fascinating, fascinating experience, no doubt about this, mm. uh, especially to find new tools to directly interact with citizens' ideas. Uh, because we have some structure with civil society and so on, where we are used to work with them. Uh, we, are know, we know how the classical form of democracy, representative democracy works. You go to election campaign, you present yourself, you get votes. And especially this parliament, the European parliament, I'm a proud member because we have more than 200 million people last time voting for this institution. So it gives already an idea that European democracy is already strong and participation is already good. But again, the idea to improve it and to find new tools, uh, randomly selected people, online platforms, national platforms and all these things was a quite unique and a quite uh, fascinating experience. And my main takeaway is that we don't, we should not get, uh, we should not see this as a one uh, one uh, uh, solution that we do this more often. We should do this more often as European Union, uh, because especially the link between Europe and uh, citizens is really huge. And that's why let's use this as a, as a kickoff for the long run. Yeah, wonderful. And and I guess, you know, the, the report that's going to come out is, is an exciting kind of prospect of, of just seeing how bringing people together and putting proposals and then sort of seeing how they how they will um, reform. Well, on the content, um, when I see now the full document in front of me, then uh, it was only possible because finally there was a kind of a European spirit behind it. What I, what I want to say is that people are, were ready to contribute to a solution uh, because it was really not easy. In the working groups, I, was heading the, I had the chance to, to, to be the chair of the democracy working group. Um, uh, and, uh, and there were, you know, citizens sitting there, member national parliaments, governmental representative, commissioner parliament, European parliament, civil society. So it was not easy at all. And that's why the European spirit is, we want to achieve something together. And that, mm -hmm. was, that was finally necessary. Mm -hmm. And when I see the outcome, I must say it was, I have to say it is better than expected. If I, if, I, if I be outspoken on this, because on the council side, for example, there were a lot of uh, initiatives blocking, let me say, uh, further in, in improvement on European democracy. And in other fields, we have uh, very forward looking, uh, very ambitious approaches on the table. And again, uh, I think the ambitious approach won in a way. So that is good to see. So uh, for the moment, I'm happy, but you know, it's now about the implementation. But mm. If I may also ask you in your assessment about more from an institute point of view, from a researcher's point of view, 
uh, how do you see it? Uh, is this now this experiment, is this, uh, this proven that this is a good one? Or what is your assessment? I mean, in a sense, uh, that sort of the conference perhaps hasn't really moved the masses in ways perhaps that we thought at the beginning. But it is really interesting to see this question of what you know, what representative democracy looks like in Europe. And I think that question of asking what citizens want um, and not only what they want from Europe, but how they think it should work is a really important one. Because if the EU is to work, it needs to A, be seen as kind of solving people's problems, the EU being part of the solution, um, that actually it's able to promote their interests and that they really feel that that it is part of, of the answer to many of the crises that, that the world faces, but also that people face as well. It, I mean, it's essential because you need, to, for, for the EU to work, it needs to be seen as legitimate, right? And so this question of, do as a citizen, do I have control over these EU rules? Can I, can I influence the way that they are shaped? And this was a direct exercise of, of saying, okay, well, let's take the rules. What new rules would you like to see and, and, and how would you like to see them being shaped? And I think lastly, if the EU uh, wants to work, it, it also needs to be seen as efficient. Um, and there's this question of uh, the EU being able to make decisions quickly. Uh, and that's certainly been the case in times of crisis. If we looked at COVID, some of the EU's responses to support, you know, European industry, EU citizens, um, also providing vaccines. But the question is, can it be efficient in times of non-crisis? So in a sense, this, this conference has been interesting in that perspective to see what people know, what they expect yeah. and, and how they want it to work. Yeah, I understand it. And probably the two crises we faced during the conference period, first the pandemic, which mm. also had a negative impact on, on the concrete practical implementation mm. of the conference, obviously. Mm. We couldn't meet, we couldn't see each other. Mm. The direct interaction was not so easy. And then in the final phase, the war now in Ukraine. On the one hand, they, they limited, let me say, the possibilities to use the conference for being more creative, more innovative. On the other hand, it also, it also showed everyone that there is a need to do more uh, mm. because we, are, we see our limits on national level. And when we speak about the Conference for the Future of Europe, then I think two, the two events now, with the pandemic and with the war, gives us a clear indication that we have to, uh, have to do more. You know, one of the main points uh, I want to underline is that uh, we have uh, uh, some initiatives on content about climate change, about, uh, about education, about uh, young generation and so on. Then we have, uh, let me say, the more technical things about structure, how to work together, where we speak about democracy, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. But then we have also this big question about the fundamental basis for the European Union. That's a treaty. And there, mm -hmm. I'm happy that in my working group, we decide finally to go for a convention. So we need a change of the treaty. I don't know how you see it, whether this is too ambitious for Europe, but I think this is two crises in the last two years with pandemic and also with the war is a total wake up call and the conference is giving now a boost and a push for, for this. Let's do it now. Let's be ambitious. Let's change mm. the fundament of mm. Europe that we are ready for the next decade. Yeah. I mean, I guess treaty reform is a bit like Pandora's box, isn't it? It's like sort of when you open it up and think, well, what changes are we going to make? Then everyone sorts, starts chipping ideas. Um, I think, you know, the, if the EU has shown that, that it can change quickly, it can react quickly, and so there's no reason to rule out certain things. Um, in a sense, I think where the EU um, has to be careful, and I was thinking about this, you know, in 50 years' time when I wake up, what are the things that I would have think, well, you know, what should the EU have done, or what am I proud that the EU has done, um, and, 
And I think for, for many people, um, the EU uh, is working and for others it's simply not working. So the question now that we, we have a better sense of what citizens want and, and this report is going to come out and as you said you've been involved in one of the working groups, it's going to continue to kind of um, influence I hope the thinking that's happening in Brussels but also across Europe about what it could do, how it can evolve and then you know if we are talking about climate change we're talking about you know preserving freedom of speech um, having a more nuanced debate yes, openness all of these questions are so essential to to the eu and going back to if the eu is to work it needs to be efficient it needs to be legitimate and it needs to be representative of people so these are important questions but Georgina, especially in the areas where we have not yet full european competences look to taxation avoiding taxes for big tech companies for example mm -hmm. Uh, or, or, or on the question of, of, of defending our digital infrastructure, cyber war and so on, that we have not yet the full EU competence on this. There Europe is criticized by the citizens. Why are we not acting on the taxation, for example, to have a fair tax system in the European Union? So, and in fields where we have our competences, the digital network, data protection, or uh, on the question of climate change, I don't see so much criticism because people see that Europe is fit for 55, is presenting legislation, is, is fighting among each other, but finally delivering also on content. So that's why the structural elements are key for finding an understanding by people. If people see that we are delivering, then it's, then it's okay, then they understand, even do compromises, not have fully their ideas implemented. Uh, but if we are failing to do anything, if we are failing to innovate anything, then people are criticizing Europe. And that's why it has a lot to do with these structural problems. In the working group, when I spoke with citizens, I understand that it's sometimes difficult because people ask us to do something concrete on climate and on the concrete subjects. And I have to explain, I want to do, but I don't have the tools for doing so. Mm -hmm. So that's why mm -hmm. the two worlds have, have to be together. We have to bring them together. Mm -hmm. and uh, And... Having in mind that uh, hopefully after we finalize now the document on the Future of Europe conference outcome, we will create optimism and not, and not frustration after this conference. The key question is, do we deliver now? Do the institutions deliver now? And that's why my clear demand towards Emmanuel Macron now as acting president of the council is, put these initiatives now on the council table. And I want to see in June, in the next council meeting, a clear decision of council whether they go for a convention or not, whether they are ready to change Europe, whether they are ready to upgrade and motivate, modernize Europe or not. And if not, please tell us, huh? then you are responsible, uh, but you have to decide. And, and in a sense, it made me think of of communication, which is such an essential part of, of how the EU operates and, and, you know, relies on that legitimacy, people understanding what the EU does. And in a sense, COVID has made much of the way we work much more digital than before. So people will more readily go on EU websites, try and figure out how it works, even you know, the conference being delayed, the start being delayed, partly because of COVID, but, you know, many of the initial sessions not being able to be hosted in person. Um, and, and I think that communication side of things, because we've got the platforms, we've got the tools to communicate, but I think it's going to be absolutely essential to be very transparent on the things that the EU can do, the things that it can't do and why, um, but also be very honest about the consequences. Because I think a lot of you know, the crisis that are coming, like take climate change, which is 
already happening. It's going to require a huge uh, you know, pressure of transition for our businesses, for citizens, for governments, the ways that we live. And that's going to have costs. And so we need to show that we are kind of truthful and honest about those costs and that we will support those uh, who, who are in need. So I think, in a sense, what's interesting as me, you know, for me as an analyst is to see what the EU will do the tools that it you know, puts at its disposal, whether it decides to radically change the way it operates, but also how it has communicated and will continue to communicate. Because in 50 years time, when people wake up, they'll think, well, were we told about these issues or not? And were we listened to? So. I get your point. And, and uh, communication is key. It's part of transparency and that is the fundament of a, of a democratic society. But if I may add another, another consideration to this, you know, communication is, is, in a way, first of all, I send something, I tell you something, I explain something. I, as European Union, I have something to say, please, how can I communicate? Probably the additional uh, element here is that the other side, and that is the citizens, have the assurance that they have the power still in their hand. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, I, I give you a concrete, a concrete example. When I do campaign as a citizen, I want to be elected. I'm a campaigner. Then I'm knocking on the door of citizens. They open the door and I tell them, that is my message. That is what I want to do if you vote for me. But still the power who finally is doing the job is on the side of the citizens, of those who is opening the door. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, I don't know whether you understand what I mean, yeah. but this is extremely important that we build up a Europe which is not trying to tell people we're doing good things, please believe in this. You know, that is, that is okay to try to do so. But the more important thing is that Europe is knocking on the door and telling people that is our offer, please decide. You know, this power of citizens in a democracy, citizens have, this, have the decision-making process in their hand, is crucial, is, is fundamental. And if we do so, I'm sure that people love to decide about the future of Europe. They love to make their assessment and they do a reasonable assessment. I'm sure about this because our citizens, citizens of Europe are reasonable people. So that's why this, uh, this power question is uh, decisive for really making this communication process then finally successful. Yeah, and I guess it is that sense of how do I as a citizen, how can I influence? Well, obviously, exactly. you know, I vote for, I may not have voted for the government that, that was, that's in place, but I get to vote uh, in my national elections, see who my government, president, head of state, um, who will sit, of course, in the council and ministers. Um, and then, of course, the European Parliament, where I get to directly elect members of the European Parliament. So there are several ways that I can can also have my say. And I think that's going to be an important thing as we face uh, more and more crisis. So um, perhaps I wanted to end with the question that I asked. I've asked all my guests on this podcast series, um, which has been, if you could describe Europe in one word, what would it be? Well, freedom is, is, the, is for sure the dominating issue when we speak about the idea of Europe. Uh, and, uh, and Ukraine reminds us that it is not for granted. It's not automatically granted. That's why let's fight for it. Mm. Great. Well, thank you very much. For this time uh, thank we, you so much for we look this. forward to to seeing as uh, you know i speak as an analyst but as a european look forward to seeing how things develop uh, a lot of challenges ahead um, but a lot of good ideas i think um, and i look forward to maybe taking up this discussion later down the line and see whether or not some of these proposals have been implemented and what more the eu can do Manfred, thank you very much um, and thank you for listening thank you <laughs>